The Daily 202's Big Idea is sponsored by the American Beverage Association. Coke, Dr. Pepper, and Pepsi are offering more choices, smaller portions, less sugar. Learn more at balanceus.org. Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Thursday, May 23rd. In today's news, Iran pushes back against U.S. pressure, and you may pay more for gas this weekend as a result. The Trump administration is slow to provide resources for combating the opioid epidemic. And Elizabeth Warren admits she did previously unknown work for some sketchy corporate clients. But first, the big idea. President Trump angrily walked out of a meeting yesterday with congressional Democrats that was supposed to be about infrastructure. He said he wouldn't work with them unless they abandoned all the inquiries into his businesses, presidency, and personal finances. Then he went out to the Rose Garden and attacked Democrats in what he called their phony investigations. It was like watching Trump deliver one of his Twitter rants in real life. In a line for the ages, the president declared, quote, I don't do cover-ups. Nancy Pelosi called the spectacle a temper tantrum. Chuck Schumer said the president was trying to distract from his lack of a plan to pay for the infrastructure they agree should be built. Some of the theatrics on display Wednesday were spontaneous. Others, White House aides told us, were premeditated. This is the third time in just six months that a meeting between Trump, Pelosi, and Schumer blew up spectacularly. In each case, Trump handed Pelosi a huge gift, a priceless moment that helped unify the Democratic caucus behind her at a key time. In this case, Pelosi is trying to fend off calls from her rank-and-file members for impeachment. She went back and at a meeting last night said that Trump's temper tantrum, again what she's calling it, proves that her strategy is working. And despite Trump's anger, the investigations continue. A federal judge yesterday denied the president's request to block congressional subpoenas for his banking records, potentially clearing the way for Deutsche Bank and Capital One to hand over documents that have been subpoenaed by House Democrats. And we learned that Wells Fargo and TD Bank have already complied with subpoenas from the House Financial Services Committee about their dealings with the Trump organization. Last night, the New York state legislature approved a measure to grant Congress access to Trump's state-level tax returns, which Andrew Cuomo, the governor, is expected to sign today. And the House Intelligence Committee announced that it will not enforce a subpoena against Attorney General Bill Barr after the Justice Department agreed yesterday to turn over certain redacted materials and underlying information from special counsel Bob Mueller's report related to the counterintelligence part of the investigation. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, Iran, faced with relentless American pressure, has abandoned its policy of restraint and is now pushing a series of offensive actions aimed at pushing the White House to rethink its efforts to isolate Tehran. With the Trump administration tightening economic sanctions and intensifying military pressure, Iran is now seeking to highlight the costs it could impose on the United States, namely disrupting the world's oil supply without taking actions likely to trigger an all-out war. Over the past year, the Iranian government has pursued a strategy of relative restraint in the hopes that a Democrat would win in 2020 and be less hostile. The escalating economic pressure, in particular the ending of U.S. waivers for importers of Iranian oil, has strengthened the argument of hardliners in Iran who see conflict with the U.S. as inevitable. Meanwhile, the Pentagon is finalizing plans to quickly deploy up to 10,000 fresh GIs 
to the Middle East in order to beef up defenses against Iranian threats. Officials say no final decision has been made, and it's not clear Trump would approve sending all or just some of those requested forces. But undoubtedly, the American escalation continues. In his first public remarks since resigning as Secretary of Defense six months ago, Jim Mattis yesterday called for more diplomacy in the Middle East, and he hinted pretty strongly that he disapproves of the administration's approach to Iran. He previously had said publicly that the U.S. should not pull out of the nuclear deal. Mattis's replacement, meanwhile, is trying to tighten control over the information flow about what's going on. An internal memo from Acting Defense Secretary Patrick Shanahan orders the Pentagon to restrict what it shares with Congress about military operations, not just in the Middle East, but around the world. Lawmakers from both parties are angry that the Trump administration has withheld key information that prevents them from executing their constitutionally mandated oversight role. Some lawmakers are also concerned about Shanahan allowing the military to be drawn too deeply into Trump's immigration agenda. Number two, back on the home front. The Trump administration has been slow to provide resources for combating the opioid epidemic as fentanyl deaths continue to soar. That's the takeaway from a major new post-investigation that half a dozen of my colleagues have been working on for months. Trump has taken a number of steps to confront the crisis, for sure, to stem the flow of fentanyl into the country from China and Mexico and to step up prosecution of these traffickers. Congress has also increased spending on drug treatment. But health policy experts say drug treatment funding is not nearly enough. And the administration's response was hobbled by the failure to appoint a drug czar during the chaotic first year, as well as lingering confusion, frankly, over who's in charge of drug policy in the Trump administration. The depth of the problem continues to overwhelm the government's response. And this administration has yet to produce a comprehensive strategy which is legally required, mandated by Congress. The sad news is that 2018 is expected to break the record set in 2017 for the number of opioid-related overdoses in America. In 2017, the first year of the Trump presidency, a record 28,869 people died from synthetic opioid-related overdoses. That's a 46% increase from the year before. Most were from fentanyl, which is 50 times more powerful than heroin. Estimates for the first eight months of 2018, the most recent available, show that an additional 20,537 of our fellow Americans have died. That's a toll on pace to significantly exceed the previous year. The Trump administration's continuing attacks on Obamacare and proposed cuts to Medicaid could leave many people addicted to opioids even more vulnerable. More than 500,000 people addicted to opioids could lose their drug treatment coverage if the ACA is repealed, which Trump is fighting to do in court. CDC data obtained by the Post documents for the first time the 10 places with the highest per capita fentanyl-related overdose death rates. It's five counties in Ohio, two in West Virginia, one in Kentucky, and the cities of St. Louis and Baltimore. Number three, while teaching at Ivy League law schools, Elizabeth Warren cashed in by working on more than 50 legal matters. She charged as much as $675 an hour to advise clients, including a corporation facing possible liability over ruptured breast implants. Warren's presidential campaign overnight released a list of 56 cases on her website, revealing a far higher number of cases that Warren had previously disclosed and lending detail to an aspect of her career she rarely discusses in public. 
The list was posted as the Washington Post was preparing to publish a report on Warren's corporate work. A nationally recognized expert in bankruptcy law, Warren worked for a number of corporate clients. She disclosed only some of them when she ran for Senate in 2012. In 1987, for example, she advised the former directors of Getty Oil during Texaco's bankruptcy. In 2003, she served as an expert witness for an insulation company in a case against insurers related to asbestos. In 2005, she provided testimony that bolstered the case of a private equity firm, Platinum Equity, in a contractual dispute. One of her most controversial clients, though, was Dow Chemical, which she advised in the mid-1990s. A subsidiary that manufactured silicone gel breast implants faced hundreds of thousands of claims from women who said their implants caused health problems. Dow Chemical denied that it played a role in designing or making the implants and sought to avoid liability so that its subsidiary, Dow Corning, could declare bankruptcy. And that's The Daily 202 for Thursday, May 23rd. Thanks for listening. I'm James Holman. I'll talk to you tomorrow. 